This morning's Bible reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10 and continuing to chapter 4, verse 5. You can follow along on the screen or in the church Bibles on page 1199 or in the leaflets that you got when you came in. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, I'm, I'm aware of the time because you know, up at South Coast, uh, we only have one service, so I can go as long as I want. But I've got to be a bit more self-controlled now. Um, but uh, what I just did want to do very quickly, if I can, Cameron, if this is all right... Uh, I, uh, uh, if you look on uh, your Facebook group, I think it is, there's a message from our church to yours. So if you're, if you're on Facebook, go and look at that. I just wanted to take a quick video of Trinity Hills 9am congregation saying hi to South Coast. Is that all right? Can I do that? So I'm going to do this. Okay. G'day, South Coasters. Uh, here's Trinity Hills 9 o'clock am congregation to say g'day. Uh, guys, say hi. Great. Okay. All right, that was appropriately brief. Well done. Um, and I'll do another one at 11 o'clock. Uh, but we, do, we are very thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, and I also just wanted to, um, to say, just briefly reflecting on uh, our kind of quick interview up here before, uh, we're so thankful for the, our partnership in the gospel. And please do be encouraged that God is doing good things down on the South Coast. So that's good. All right, friends, uh, let's have this passage open in front of us. Before we get to it, though, um, I'm going to want to take you on a bit of a journey this morning. Uh, up at South Coast, we had a bit of a, uh, a series that we went through, um, we called the Solar Series, looking at five great truths that came out of a 
uh, a movement about 500 years ago uh, in Europe, and that kind of spread across the, the world, really, a movement called the Reformation. Um, uh, but so I w- I'd like to take you on a journey. Imagine you head across the world uh, back to Germany. Uh, maybe you jump in a plane, you go back to Germany, but you also happen to go back 500 years. Uh, and we're at the 31st of October in the year 1517. And a young monk is nailing a document to the door of a church in a town called Wittenberg. Some of you will be familiar with this story. Some of you might not. Um, the, the, monk was, uh, the monk's name was... Martin Luther, there he is, dapper, dapper young fellow. Uh, he is a lecturer at the University in Wittenberg, and it was a common practice at the time to nail your arguments to the door of the church, so it wasn't kind of in defiance that he nailed this up, it was just a common practice. Uh, but this thing that he nailed up on the church door, these 95 theses, if you've heard of them, uh, uh, oh, the technical title, 95 Theses on the Power of Indulgences, uh, they, on one level, just another ordinary sort of nailing up on the wall, or another uh, argument, but they sparked this incredible reformation, this revolution that spread across Europe and spread like wildfire. Within two weeks of uh, Luther nailing that onto the wall, within two weeks it had been copied and sent through all of Germany, and within a few short years, Luther's ideas had sparked what we now call the Reformation, uh, or the reforming of the church around the gospel. Now, what moved Luther to write these 95 Theses was a common practice at the time, uh, oh, there's the spread of uh, the Reformation, was a common practice at the time called selling indulgences. Uh, indulgences were, they were given out by the church at the time, and they were kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, if you know that, you play, you, you, they, they would reduce, if you could get these indulgences, they would reduce the amount of uh, penalty or punishment that you had to face for your sin. Um, and you could get them either, you had to pay for them, uh, you could pay for them by sort of doing particular things, or um, at the time of the Reformation, you could literally pay for them. Um, you could uh, donate a certain amount of money uh, to the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, and uh, in return, you'd get sort of a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card, you'd get some punishment off for your sins, uh, selling indulgences became a major moneymaker for the church, and no one was better at it than this guy. Not quite as dapper looking, but his name was Johann Tetzel. Uh, Tetzel would travel around selling indulgences, and he was famous, he'd call out this slogan, when a coin in the coffer rings, a coffer, like what he's got there, that box, when a coin in a coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Uh, and there were lots of anxious people Uh, There were lots of anxious people who were facing all sorts of trials and suffering. Um, The plague had decimated so many, and there was was lots going on at the time. They were anxious for security and assurance, uh, and there were lots of people who would pay up. Um, It's a long story, but Luther's confrontation with Tetzel, uh, he he confronted this guy, and it kind of avalanched. Uh, It started with just this one little snowflake on the top of a mountain of Luther nailing this <laughs> uh, 95 Theses to the door, and it just snowballed and avalanched, right? It became huge. And it led him to question the very undermining authority of the whole church structure that he was a part of. Well, it's, it's a gripping story, it is, but it's, it's more than that. And why do I mention it this morning? Not only because it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year, a good thing to remember... 
But what drove it all was for Luther was a recovery of the Bible, uh, a conviction that when it, ca- when it came to how we know about who God is and what His will for our lives is and what it means to be a Christian, a conviction that it was the Bible that had the ultimate authority. Um, the printing press had just been invented and there was a new movement to translate the Bible into the common language. Before now, it had, it had been largely inaccessible to most people, uh, but now it was more available than ever before and it was a conviction that the Bible was God's Word and that it alone had the ultimate authority that kind of fueled and drove the, this Reformation movement on. Uh, and they came up with a catchphrase that defines this movement, Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Uh, they had a number of other alones that we'll, I'll briefly mention later. Um, it doesn't mean that they saw Scripture as the only authority, it's the only thing you should ever read or listen to, that's not what they meant. But when the rubber hits the road, when everything else is said and done, Scripture alone has supreme authority. Um, Well, there were some alternatives at the time, uh, Scripture alone, so that was kind of the the view of these guys, but uh, an alternative at the time that Luther kind of came up against was the idea of tradition alone. This was basically what Luther was arguing against, uh, that the, the Pope or the Church could speak with equal authority to the Bible, and if there was ever any sort of question about how we understand it, then uh, they were the ones who could interpret the Bible infallibly, so whatever they said goes. Um, a lot of this stuff may, may be familiar with you. Um, but the radical, the, the, so that was Luther's kind of break from the church at the time. I hope you enjoyed the history. It's, 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 we're getting somewhere, so go with it. Uh, it's not just a history kind of talk. Um, there was some people who went along with Luther, but they just went further and further then Luther went, what they call the radical reformers, they took this break with Rome and they ran with it. They claimed that now we've been set free from Rome. Our present spiritual experience here and now, that's what's authoritative for us. That's, at the end of the day, has the supreme authority. One guy called Munzer, he claimed that what was needed were new revelations of the Spirit, not the old Bible that was just ink and paper, uh, we need a new Daniel, he said, led by the Spirit, not by Scripture. And strangely enough, Munzer believed that he himself was that new Daniel. Uh, Munzer uh, and others like him, they elevated internal subjective experience over the historic objective Bible, the Scriptures. Um, if there was ever any conflict between the two, it was my present experience that won out. Uh, Luther replied that, of course, the word without the Spirit is dead, but you just, you cannot separate the two. And whereas your experience can lie, the Scriptures cannot. So this was another kind of alternative. Just one quick, uh, another one, another group that sort of came up around the time was what what they call the evangelical rationalists. Uh, And and basically, uh, their position was, you know, you'd, you'd accept Scripture if it stood up to my human reasoning. So reason alone. Uh, You see how the the word alone is being used? What is it that has the ultimate, the the, the supreme kind of place in your life and in authority? 
Um, maybe it's human reason. If I can sort of rationally comprehend it or make an argument for it, then I'll accept it. But if not, I won't. Okay. Well, that was sort of all going on 500 years ago, right? This uh, movement that was uh, that really Luther um, uh, spoke against. Um, this, these things uh, were sort of in opposition to what Luther and the other reformers recaptured this idea of Scripture alone. But if it's not that, <laughs> if it's not those, what is it? What is this idea of Scripture alone? Um, as 500 years ago, Luther and other guys like him went back to the Bible, they discovered what the Bible said about itself. Now, there's a kind of, uh, there's a kind of circularity about that, and perhaps that's something that you've struggled with. Um, in terms of, you know, the, uh, an argument might go, why would you, if the Bible says it's uh, authoritative, well, that's kind of a bit circular. Hang in there. Um, just uh, uh, go, go, you know, travel along with us today, if that's you. Um, hear the Bible out. If, if the Bible is what it says it is, um, then it just makes sense that it, it doesn't actually have a higher authority to appeal to. Um, one writer puts it, put it like this, only God is a fit witness to himself. So, uh, part of our sort of confusion about this um, is because, well, perhaps we um, uh, need to see the Bible like in, that, in those terms. If the Bible is what it says it is, there, it doesn't have anyone higher to appeal to. Uh, but what sets the Bible apart is, it's not just because what it claims about itself, any book could write anything about itself, Right? But what sets the Bible apart is the real flesh and blood person of Jesus. Um, if you've got questions about the Bible, the best place to start is to actually just to grab a gospel and start with Jesus himself. As you see, Jesus, this is Jesus. I'm not sure if he actually looked like, I'm pretty sure he didn't look like that, but just use your imagination. This is Jesus. Uh, as you read the gospels about Jesus, um, the, the, what you discover is over and over and over again, Jesus points back to the Old Testament Scriptures, the Scriptures that He had. He was immersed in it. He was captivated by it. He accepted it as true. He appeals to the Old Testament Scriptures as authoritative. It sets the backdrop for everything that He does, His own death and resurrection. And then, hopefully this will work, yeah, the, the Old Testament Scriptures. That's how He understands who He is. Hey, that worked. Uh, and then after his death, his resurrection, uh, it's Jesus who gives authority to his apostles, those special people that he, he well, the people that he chose, he especially chose, to be his witnesses, to, to witness to what he had done in the light of the Old Testament to the world, to proclaim the good news about his death and resurrection. And their witness gives, gives, gives rise to the New Testament. Um, the scriptures that we have. Okay, well, there's, uh, that's kind of a very um, kind of brief uh, encouragement to really just focus our thoughts about the Bible on Jesus Himself. But the apostles re reflect on Scripture too, and there's no clearer place than two Timothy three that they do that. The Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy, this young church leader, and this is what he says. Uh, we had it read before, but as for you. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, 
and how from infancy you have uh, known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. The most urgent thing for Timothy, according to Paul, was for him to continue in what he had learned and received in these scriptures that show God's salvation. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. Uh, What we have in the Bible is breathed out by God himself. What um, theologians call the inspiration of the Bible. It is inspired. It's both a fully human document and written in a, by particular people in particular times in different styles and genres, but it's a fully divine book as well. Uh, genuinely written, overshadowed by God in such a way that whatever is in there comes with His authority as His Word to the world. And because the Bible is from God, it's God's book. It's His Word... And therefore, it is unfailing. It's not just inspired, it is unfailing. It's totally trustworthy. And it will always accomplish what God intends. You see that um, in that passage. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, friends, this is a huge, there's a really important passage in 2 Timothy here. Um, we're, not, we're not going to go into all the details of it today. Uh, but Timothy is facing huge pressures, right? You read about in the rest of these, both 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, all the fa- pressures Timothy fa- faced. Uh, Paul was facing huge pressure as well. Um, he tells Timothy earlier in verse 11, if you've got your Bible open, you can see it there, but he tells Timothy about his persecutions, his sufferings, and he tells, basically says, Timothy, uh, you can expect the same kind of thing. This young church that Timothy is shepherding has already had huge internal divisions, um, different people pushing for different agendas that threaten to distract them from the gospel, This is all going on. Paul says, remember what you've learned. But we're going to read on because I think what Paul says, and this really has struck me uh, in a fresh way recently, uh, going through this passage again. What is it, in, in that kind of context, right, facing all those pressures, Paul himself is facing huge pressure, Timothy is facing huge pressure. In that context, what's Paul's advice? What would you say? What would the advice of our culture be? What's going to, what is going to sustain you and get you through those intense pressures? In the presence of God. And you get the sense Paul's really building up to something here, right? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Right, so this is... This is what he needs. This is his big moment. How is Paul? How is Timothy going to face these pressures? I give you this charge, and again, it's worth pausing there, right? What would you? What would our culture say? Believe in yourself, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
Make things as attractive and as exciting as you can because the church will die otherwise. And if all else fails, form a committee. (laughs) No, what does Paul say? In presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this church. Preach the word. Preach the word. When he says the word there, Paul means what we looked at before, the Old Testament scriptures that all pointed to Jesus, and uh, I think the apostles' testimony about Jesus that we have in the New Testament. That's what he has in mind. Paul's saying that this witness to the gospel that we have in this book, this breathed out word of God, this is where God's power is. It is his living and active word. Now, Cameron alluded to that verse in Hebrews before, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Preach the word, this unfailing, inspired word of God. Um, Luther had a sense of this. Uh, he, uh, he entrusted himself to this word. This is what he wrote um, as kind of looking back over his life. Luther wrote, I opposed indulgences in all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And then, while I slept and, or drank Wittenberg beer with my, with my Philip of Armsdorff, the words so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. I mean, I heard once that there's more books written about Luther than anyone else except for Jesus. I'm not sure if that's true. But, he, you know, I, you're hard-pressed to find anyone else who's had more impact in world history, even through today in ways that we kind of don't necessarily kind of a bit sort of under undercurrents of our culture, the way he influenced us. But what does he say? No, I did nothing. I just taught and spoke God's word. The word did it all. The Word did it all. My friends, these ideas of inspiration and infallibility, they're kind of doc- they're, um, commitments, the big words that we kind of can toss around, teachings from the Bible. Um, it is possible though, isn't it? And perhaps you feel this, I certainly do. It is possible to hold to them, uh, to believe them, but still yourself to be kind of cold towards the Bible. In a strange way, it's possible to argue for God's Word, but not to love it, uh, to defend it, but not long for it. I think this is a huge issue, actually, for uh, many Christian people, for all of us, probably, at different times in our lives. Why is that? I, I think it's partly because it's possible forget to forget the sweetness of God's Word, um, you get right in the middle of the, the Bible, the book of Psalms, you get this extended meditation on the Word of God in Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
sweeter than honey to my mouth. I mean, you can just, it's one thing to look at honey and describe it, right? You had a jar of honey here. I could tell you how it tasted. But until you actually dip your spoon in and put it in your mouth, you're not going to know its sweetness. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. The most precious gift in the world of darkness, this word gives light. In a world that is like grass and fading away. God's word stands forever. In a world that is dying, this word brings eternal life. But so often, my heart doesn't yearn for it. So often, your heart doesn't yearn for it. We haven't yet tasted that God's word is the most precious thing, the thing that we need every second. So how can we recover a sense of the Bible's sweetness? Um, There's lots to say about that. And just being a part of a community of God's people that is centred around his word uh, really is at the heart of it. But for Luther, as uh, and others, uh, the reformers with him, as... uh, it's as we encounter the Bible, not just as a source of ideas or facts, not just as a kind of moral guide book for us. If you treat the Bible like that, it'll make you proud because you'll know all the facts and you might be able to follow most of the rules some of the time. Or, if you're a bit more honest, it'll crush you. Uh, Luther loved the Bible ultimately because... It was there that he found the person of Jesus Christ. And as he met Jesus, he and the other reformers with him found an incredible reality. They found the other, four, the other key convictions that came out of the Reformation. Um, if you know the slogans, um, that's, what they, that, that's as they recovered Scripture alone. These are the great realities that they discovered as the Bible was recovered. God opened their eyes to see this incredible big picture of the Bible's story, that God at his heart is a giver who saves by grace alone, not by your merits, not because you deserve it, but simply because of his undeserved grace and kindness. We, we get that salvation not by earning it, but simply by holding out our empty hands in faith alone. Uh, and that salvation is one for us in Christ alone, and all of life is lived is given for God's glory alone. Grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Those are these huge ideas that, and realities that came out of this recovery of the Bible. They summarize it and they show how the Bible ultimately is not a book of rules. It's not actually a guide for your life primarily or ultimately. It's not primarily actually about you. It is about God and what He has done in Christ for you. And the Bible is the only infallible, inspired witness that we have to that great gospel story. Our yearning for the Bible, our sense of its sweetness, will flow out of our yearning for Jesus, our sense of His sweetness, and of the incredible hope that we have in Him. Well, how do we think about all of these in terms of our life together as God's people in the places that He puts us? Um, 
one really key question that comes out of all this is how, uh, where do you think God's power is to change your life and to change the lives of other people? Where do you, where do you really think God's power lies? Um, if it is in conserving tradition, then that's where we'll put our hope. If it is in experience then we'll put our energy into creating and searching for a particular kind of experience and we'll long for that and that's where we'll, that's where we'll go. If the power lies in community, in us living life together, then we'll focus on trying to create a particular type of community. If, our, if that's where the power lies, if, our, if it's in our ability to reason, then we'll put all our energy into arguing. Uh, if we think the power lies in particular type of leadership, efficient management structures, that's where we'll put our hope and energy. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not, this, the, those things, they find their place. But if God's authority and power is in His Word, then we'll foc- our focus, our deep desire, and even our longing <laughs> will be to hear not just to hear, but to taste the sweetness of that word and to share in it ourselves and share it with the world. Traditions and experiences and community life, structures, all will flow out of that. But where do we think God's power to work is? It is in the word of his gospel that we have in his Bible. It works out for us as a, as, for, as a church, uh, on, on lots of different levels. It also works out uh, for you as an individual though, right? One of the refreshing things about the Reformation and the Reformers, they had this big view uh, of, this vision of taking this reality of the Bible, of the gospel that we read in the Bible, taking that reality to every part of life. It wasn't just cut off for professional Christians. It wasn't just something that you did on Sundays. Uh, they had a vi- vision of, of the plowman uh, ploughing his field, and while he was doing it, talking about what he found in the Bible. Um, individuals having God's Word in their own hands. And it's worth taking stock, perhaps today for you as an individual, your own kind of relationship to this written Word of God. There are some practical things, that, you know, I'm sure Cameron can help you out. I think um, you guys actually have a Bible reading kind of um, plan that as a church you promote. Used to, Okay. Um, there are some practical things, but at, I mean, at the heart, it's not that, is it? At the heart is, is the question, have you tasted the sweetness of the Bible? Have you seen Jesus at the centre of the Bible's story and entrusted your life to Him? And perhaps you're not a Christian or maybe you're um, sort of re-engaging with Christian things. That's where to start. That's what will give you a, a sense, a taste for how good this word is. Uh, perhaps you are a Christian, though, and it's possible for all of us, though, and we've already reflected on that, for our, 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 kind of our taste buds to lose their sense, right? Um, to get crowded out by every other taste. Um, my kids have just recently uh, uh, been kind of getting into fairy floss. I you know, sort of kept them away from that for a while, but they, they kind of have a bit of fascination for it. So when we go to the shop, there's these packets of fairy floss, which I don't quite feel right about buying, because, you know, what's in one of those? It's probably been sitting there for months. Um, 
but the thing about fairy floss is, right, it tastes, it kind of tastes a bit sweet, but then it just, it's nothing, right? <laughs> it just evaporates. There's nothing there. There's no substance. It can't feed you. Every, those other things that crowd out our taste buds, compared to the lasting goodness and eternal glory of God's Word, that's what they're like. They're just fairy floss. <laughs> They'll fade, but God's Word will not. So, friends, uh, why would we give ourselves to anything else? That's why Trinity South Coast was planted. That's why Trinity Hills was planted. Why would we give ourselves to anything else? That's why um, you in your life, as you are fed on God's Word, can be a witness to the Gospel in the situation He has called you into. Why would we give ourselves to anything else than in the gathering of God's people to long for and hear and submit ourselves to and talk about and read and pass on this life-giving, light-giving Word of God. And friends, while we sleep and maybe, I don't, I don't know if there's Wittenberg beer, but maybe we drink Hills beer um, or some other beverage, God's Word will do its powerful work. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, these things um, can be very familiar to many of us who have been Christians for a long time. Uh, perhaps for some of us, though, they're not so familiar. Lord, we pray that wherever we're at, that today we might have a renewed sense of the sweetness of your word. And not just in a kind of abstract sense, but because it shows us your great, incredible mercy and love in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in it we find that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And we thank you that that's in Christ alone and that you bring us into your kingdom and family so that we might live for your glory alone. Please strengthen us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.